bottle of beer as I asked about his life. What was your stock and trade, sir? Did it cost you a lot of strife? Well, I'm a preacher, son. The word smith of the Lord. Oh, mm-hmm. 
Navigators have searched uh, and followed the Pleiades and your Orion to find their way home so many times. Many years ago, I was, uh, oh gosh, I'm about 20 years old. A fellow by the name of Guy Holman, uh, he wanted to take me coon hunting. I've never been coon hunting before, and he had these beautiful dogs. And it was dark, and we got to this uh, boundary of timber. We got out, and he, uh, he let the dogs run. And here we are with flashlights, and we're going through the woods all night long. And finally, it was time to start heading back out, and I thought to myself, how in the world are we going to find our way out of here? And he stopped, and he looked up, and he kept staring. I said, God, what is it? He said, I have to look at the stars to get my bearings so I know how we can get out of the woods here. And I've never forgotten that. He was an old hunter. He had hunted in in uh, uh, seagrass from Florida all over the United States. And he said, I have to get my bearings via the stars so I know how to get us out of here. Folks, let me tell you, as I said earlier, Jesus is the bright and morning star. You may be going through loneliness, you may be going through sadness, but let me tell you, Jesus Christ said, I am with you always. I will never leave you. And I will never forsake you. I want to share a passage of scripture here from 1 John chapter 1, starting with verse 1. That which we have from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. You know, last Sunday was Easter. And we went through that journey from the time Jesus entered Jerusalem until the time of the resurrection. But here's something we need to follow up on. The disciples, if you will recall at this time, they all went into hiding. Now you need to realize something about these disciples. Just a few days prior to Christ's crucifixion, death, resurrection, they came into Jerusalem basically saying, yes, we are with Jesus, we're his disciples, and they were, were given all kinds of praise and cheer. They, they were the BMOC. They were the big man on campus. They, I'm sure uh, the fact that they had even argued about who was greatest in the kingdom of heaven, they probably strutting around like little baby roosters because, yeah, we know him. We're with him. And now, all of a sudden, they knew that there was a bounty on And so they went into hiding. And when, when Mary had showed up to Jesus, uh, she, he, the Lord told us, said, said, I want you to go back and I want you to tell them uh, that you have seen me and I have risen. Now, I want to share a passage of scripture here with you, if I can get to it all right. Hold on here just a second. Over in Luke chapter 24, I want to share this with you. Starting with verse 12. Then arose Peter and ran into the sepulchre, and stooping down, he beheld the linen cloths laid by themselves and departed, wondering in himself at that which was come to pass. Verse 13. And behold, two of them went the same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about three score furlongs. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they were communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near. And went with them, but their eyes were holding or stopped. 
and they could not know him. This is one of the most beautiful accounts. Now remember, Mary had she come early that morning to the tomb to anoint his body and spices. Jesus had risen. Angel appeared to her. Said, go back and tell the disciples. Well, Peter and John were in hiding. And as soon as they heard this, Peter started running first. And John followed. Then all of a sudden, for some reason, the apostle Peter stopped or slowed down. And John passed him. And then all of a sudden, we see that Simon Peter ran into the tomb. Now you think, why would God's word go to detail like that? Because here's the deal. If you recall, Simon Peter had denied Jesus Christ three times. And so as Simon Peter, he was tickled to hear, he was glad to hear, he rejoiced to hear that Jesus had uh, risen from the dead. But uh, on the way, he remembered, oh no, he, he not only heard me deny him, he saw me deny him with cursing and profanity. And so he slowed up. And then all of a sudden we see that he picked up the speed because he thought, I don't care. I've got to ask him to forgive me. And so all of a sudden we see that it's kind of left there. And then a little later in Luke, we see the next event. It had to be pretty soon after Jesus rose from the dead. We see that there were two people, perhaps disciples of Jesus, who are walking away out of Jerusalem and heading to Bethany. And all of a sudden, this stranger came up and started walking with them. They didn't know that it was Jesus. Jesus had blinded their eyes because he needed to prove a point. Perhaps these two were just blinded by grief, wondering, did, did these events really happen, or did we dream them, or, or what's the situation? And Jesus said, uh, what is it? What is it that... Uh, You've been talking about so much. And uh, all of a sudden we see that God's word tells us that uh, they started to tell Jesus. In fact, they asked Jesus, what? If you've been in Jerusalem this week and you haven't heard what the situation is? How did that be? Everybody here knows what the situation is. And Jesus said, well, why don't you tell me? And they started telling Jesus that, or telling the people, or telling Jesus rather, that uh, all these events had happened. He came in Jerusalem. We thought he was going to be the one that would throw off the Roman yoke of bondage. But just the contrary. He was arrested. He was abused. He was crucified. He said, now some of the women have come back and said, uh, that indeed, an angel had told them that Jesus himself had appeared sometime after his burial on the first day of the week early. Now, folks, I'm going to share something with you. Somewhere in between this time, Jesus did show up to Simon Peter just briefly. We're not sure where or even what was said. We'll, we'll understand that here in just a little bit. But the two people who were walking to Bethany out of Jerusalem from uh, on their way to Emmaus, and Jesus started talking to them. And here's the important thing. It said that Jesus, here in Luke 24, Jesus be, or began to expound to these two strangers how the Old Testament had to be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. There are over 350 prophecies in the Old Testament that deal with Jesus Christ, and he fulfilled them succinctly and perfectly. Now think of that. 350 or more, some debate a few more or not, 350 scriptural references 
to the Messiah, referring to Jesus Christ. And Jesus fulfilled them all. There are a lot of people who, who have all kinds of stories regarding Jesus. For example, Matthew 28 even tells us that uh, the priests in the temple paid the soldiers off. You can read in Matthew 28, paid the soldiers off to go out and tell everybody that he didn't rise from the dead. The disciples came back and stole his body. And so from the very beginning, we see people have tried to make an excuse or tried to, to turn people's lives away from the truth. Remember, the enemy, he comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. But Jesus said, I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And so they try to pay the soldiers off to this day. There are those who believe that indeed they can't deny the fact that Jesus Christ exists. That Jesus Christ being arrested. Jesus Christ going through abuse and crucifixion and dying. Outside uh, manuscripts record this. I, I, I mentioned once before. Flavius Josephus, the, the Roman historian. And you can look this up in his writings. Had even recorded about Jesus, the work, the good things that he did, his disciples. He even recorded, and there are those of his followers who claim that he has risen from the dead. This is outside of the Bible's biblical account. And so there's no denying that. But where the problem is for a lot of people is did he really rise from the dead? And I like the fact of of what God's Word tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul said, if there is no resurrection, we are of all people most miserable. There have been those who have tried to uh, claim what's called the swoon theory, that uh, Jesus had passed out, and as a result of his passing out, when they put him in the cold, damp tomb, after they had rolled the stone in front of the tomb, the, the coolness of it had revived him, and he led. Now we already know that the lie started that the disciples came and stole him away. And there is another excuse. This is going to blow your mind. That when Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jesus, Mary the mother of Leopold, that when they had gone to the garden of the tomb, that because the day before they were so overcome with grief that they actually went to the wrong tomb. Now let's talk about this for a second. There was a man by the name of Frank Morrison. He was an English barrister. And he wrote a book called Who Moved the Stone? It's still in print. And he, as an attorney, he set forth to prove that the teachings of Jesus were an impossibility, that they, they could, it could not have happened. And then all of a sudden, there was one situation that he could not get over, under, or around. Thus the name of this book, Who Moved the Stone? See, those who, as the Jews tried to report that they came and stole Jesus' body, there's no way that would happen because we knew that the disciples were in hiding and were in fear. There's a Roman garrison camped right outside the tomb. They know that there's no way that they're going to come back, confront these Roman soldiers, and move the tomb. That's just, that's just an impossibility. Then we see that uh, we have, as we said before, well, Mary and those who came to the tomb, because they were overwhelmed with grief the day before, they went to the wrong tomb. And I ask any mama out there, if you buried your son on Saturday, 
Would you forget where you put him on Sunday? Absolutely not. That's, that's not even, even worth mentioning. It doesn't even apply. To say that Jesus, the swoon theory, that he, uh, he revived and he stumbled out of the tomb, you got a couple of problems. Do you remember that when the disciples and Mary came to the tomb, the stone was rolled away, a very heavy object. The stone was rolled away, and when they looked inside, there were the burial cloths. Now, the way the Jews would entomb and prepare the body was not like the Egyptians, where they would disembowel. They would literally wrap the corpse from under the armpits throughout the body and then wrap the head separately. God's Word tells us that those grave clothes were laying there as though all of a sudden somebody had just disappeared out of them. They were not separated. They were not uh, all scrambled up and thrown, tossed in a corner, corner or as if somebody had dragged out and left some of the strips there. God's Word puts this down, and we see these events we're about to talk about this morning, to indicate the importance that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a reality. When Jesus Christ rose from the dead, there's what's called his Shekinah glory that literally burst through those burial cloths. To this day, the majority of scientists, the majority of people who have investigated the Shroud of Turin, all, everyone will admit there's never been anything like that before. It appears as an X-ray image. And on this X-ray image, there are signs where there is where have been uh, punctures on the forehead and the hands and the feet and in the side. And if you'll notice, God's Word tells us numerous times when Jesus appeared to his disciples a little later than where we're talking right now. He said, look at my hands and look at my feet and look at my side. And Luke, and I want to tell you, Luke was a physician, a man of science, and he wanted to be sure that he gave an accurate description of that when they pierced Jesus' side, it says that blood, clotted blood and water flowed from his side. That's very important. Because a person who is alive, blood will continue to issue out in an abundant amount. But when a man is dead, it would be clotted blood and also mixed with a type of water substance. So again, this is to prove that Jesus truly was dead. And these other events were to prove that indeed he was who he claimed to be, Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. He was God incarnate. And so when we read about this situation, and Jesus is unfolding to all these two men as he, they're walking to Emmaus. And he's telling them about all these events. And he's telling about all these different Old Testament prophecies and how Jesus Christ approved it. Let me explain something to you. There's an organization of scientists who have looked at the over 350 some prophecies regarding Jesus Christ. They chose only eight, only eight prophecies. And, and choosing these eight prophecies, the chances of somebody fulfilling those prophecies hundreds of years in advance would be 10 to the 17th power. Now, that doesn't sound that much. Let me give you an illustration of what 10 to the 17th power is. 
If you took silver dollars and laid them side by side, you could cover the state of Texas completely, layer upon layer, till they were two feet deep. Then if you had only marked one of those silver dollars and you buried it somewhere in the state of Texas covered with silver dollars two feet thick, and then asked one individual, we have one chance to find that silver dollar. That would be the same amount of chances you would have if you were Jesus Christ who had fulfilled at least just eight prophecies, let alone 350 some. We know that Jesus was seen by over 500 witnesses at one time. Why am I sharing these things with you? Because if you have any doubt, history reports more accurately by the Bible. The Bible is more accurate than even the biographies of Abraham Lincoln. Archaeology has done nothing but substantiate the biblical claims. For example, they said that the name of David could not have existed in the time and lifespan of David. And so as a result, so many skeptics, liberals, said that David could not be named David. Well, all of a sudden, you look this up in National Geographic. Archaeologists have dug up what was called the Ebla Tablets. And when they dug up the Ebla Tablets, they looked inside, and this predated the time of David. And they found the name of David numerous, numerous times. Every time they, in fact, Voltaire, the great philosopher, said that within a hundred years, the name of Jesus Christ will be a myth. Churches will be turned into community centers. And less than a hundred years after Voltaire died, his home was used as a place to print Bibles. Every time Jesus Christ and the teaching of Jesus Christ has been pushed down and has been, been Try to be squelched. It comes back in a form that's mightier than ever before. You see, we have not believed cunningly devised plans. As we read in 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, John said, these are not little tales. We have touched Jesus after his resurrection. We have seen Jesus. We have heard of Jesus. This is not a myth. And Jesus went back and he went over the prophecies of the Old Testament. Even from the very beginning in Genesis, the third chapter, when we see from the time of the fall of Adam and Eve that Jesus Christ was prophesied, the Messiah was prophesied to deliver mankind from the bondage of sin. We see in the book of Deuteronomy numerous uh, prophecies dealing with Jesus Christ. You can look up Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 18. You'll see where it talked about, I will raise up a prophet for the purpose of of pain for the dead of our sin. You can look that up in the book of Deuteronomy. This is still in the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. We look in Isaiah chapter 7, and it will even tell us that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, was going to be born of a virgin. We can look forward to the book of Zechariah. It not only tells us that Jesus was born, the Messiah, but exactly where he was born. In Bethlehem, now you may not think that's a big deal, but there's two Bethlehems. Bethlehem Zebulon and Bethlehem Ephraim. And in the Isaiah and in Zechariah, hundreds of years before Jesus. You see, there's 500 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament. 
The prophecy accurately named the city in which Jesus Christ would be born. These are just a few of the Old Testament prophets, and this is what Jesus was telling the strangers on the road to Emmaus that day. He went back and went through all the Old Testament prophecies, proving that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, when they got so far up the road heading and road towards Bethany, they got to, what we could say is the turnoff. They got to the point where they were going to leave the main road and go to Emmaus. And it says that Jesus pretended as though or acted as though he were going to go on. And the strangers on the road to Emmaus said, uh, look, the day is far spent. Why don't you come home with us and, and you can leave early in the morning. Now, I think that is a very beautiful, appropriate passage of Scripture. Why? Because of what Revelation chapter 3, verse 20 tells us. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and sup with him and he with me. You see, the devil will slip in any way he can. If you want to get a basic idea of how the devil works, the enemy works, Lucifer works, a mighty theologian by the name of C.S. Lewis, his writings were the... Uh, uh, reason for my uh, going to Oxford to study. I remember walking from High Street in Oxford to C.S. Lewis' home and thinking, what a mighty man of God. And C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters. And it gives a, a detail drawing from biblical principles of how the devil will work. You see, he doesn't play fair. He'll slip in. He'll creep in any way he can. He goes, not for still kill and destroy. You see, the devil is not omnipresent like God. God can be everywhere. So what does the devil do? He takes his demonic legion and sends them forth. And some, for example, God's word tells us in 2 Timothy 1.7, For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but a power and love and of a sound mind. So there is a spirit, demonic entity of fear. There is a demonic entity of sickness. There is a demonic entity of, of doubt. It goes on and on and on. To the Christian, they, they cannot possess you, but they can dog your heels. And so, Jesus Christ will not slip into your life. Jesus Christ, he's a gentleman. And a gentleman cannot lie. If he said it, it's forever settled in heaven. Jesus Christ must be invited. I've been a full-time minister right at 45 years. And I've told my son... Young Dr. Young, uh, who graduated from Grace Seminary with his doctor, I said, look, we share the gospel. We share the gospel. We don't preach at people. We don't judge people. We don't condemn people. We share the promise. We share how they can have, everybody can have a better life. Because Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He is joy that's unspeakable and full of glory. But we don't force it on anybody. We don't force it on somebody. If somebody says, I don't want to hear that, then we let it go. We back off. Because to do anything further would be trying to do the work of the Holy Spirit. And God's Word tells us in John the 6th chapter, no man can come unto me unless I draw him. And so the work of the Holy Spirit is to draw people to him. Those who will be saved, the Holy Spirit draws and puts a hunger within them, puts a searching within them till they find Jesus Christ. There is a, a young man 
that tremendous music, musician. Uh, in fact, he, uh, if you remember the show way back when, I've Got a Secret, he was 11 years old on that show. He was a child prodigy. And his secret was, at 11 years old, he was offered a five-year contract to be a rock and roll star. And by the time he was 11 years old, he had already written over 40 songs. Amazing young man by the name of Keith Green. And as a result, when he got older, he was a hippie movement time. And he uh, was involved in a lot of things, rock bands, wrote songs. He wrote songs for Tommy James and the Shondells and on and on. He met a young lady by the name of Melody, and they both were on a quest to find the truth. He was Jewish. They got to know Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of their life. And he wrote one song called Love Broke Through. You see, so many people are blind and dead in trespasses and sin. One time, uh, we were, we, twice a year, we go to Florida to the prisons, minister in the prisons. We take motorcycles and go to places where bikers go to. We had pulled up in front of a juvenile correctional facility. I saw a guy on a Harley. He just pulled, we're getting ready to leave out of the parking lot. And the Holy Spirit led me to, to not witness, when, when I say witness, tell about salvation. I just walked over to him and I said, excuse me. He said, what's that? I said, would you like to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior? And he looked at me as though I had shocked him. And he said, that's what I've been thinking about lately. Yes, I would. And right there in that parking lot, we prayed he received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of his life. You see, the Holy Spirit goes on before. The Holy Spirit prepares. So if you think you can save somebody by your words, your actions, then you're trying to do that, which is blasphemous, is to assume the job of the Holy Spirit. We're to be witnesses. As St. Corinthians 5, we are ambassadors for Christ. And you've probably heard this before, but sometimes the only Bible anybody ever reads is you. Your walk. Your testimony. How you conduct yourself. That's the only Bible some people ever read. Uh, a young man who was in the ministry for a number of years and still serves the Lord. He, uh, <laughs> he was... Quite, quite a uh, drug dealer and user. And I'd known him since high school. And one day he shot me, he came up to me, he said, I need to talk to you. I said, what's that? He said, uh, I don't know what you have, but I want what you have. And I led him by God's grace. The Holy Spirit drew him. And he worked in his heart for him. Nobody said anything to him. And so Jesus came into the home of these two strangers. And he sat down, and here's the interesting thing. He said, Jesus picked a loaf of bread up and broke it. Usually, the host is the one that does it. But you see, Jesus immediately took the position that he was meant to take. And that was the head of the church. And as soon as Jesus broke the bread, those men from Emmaus saw his hands. And God's word says, and immediately their eyes were open and they beheld who he was and said he vanished out of their sight. You see, God is omnipotent, all powerful, omnipresent, he's everywhere, he's omniscient, he knows all things. He hung the stars in the sky, there is nothing withhold him to pass from one room to another, from another one place to another place. His child played to God, he's God, he created it all, and all of a sudden. 
He just disappeared from their vision. So what did the two from Emmaus do? They hightailed it back to Jerusalem. They wanted to tell the disciples what they had seen. Now I want to read something to you here in John chapter 20. I'm going to start with verse 18. Put it in perspective. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord, that he had spoken these things unto her. Then the same day, this is the same day of the resurrection, the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. When he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father has sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them, and whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. Now remember, at the just short time after Jesus' resurrection, he had met the two strangers on the road to Emmaus. Those two strangers hightailed it back to Jerusalem. And here we see that the disciples, it said they were behind a locked door. Why? Because of fear of the Jews. They would be wanted. They would be probably killed themselves. Even though they got the one that they had their hearts set on. And so when they got back to the upper room, there was Peter and John and a few of the other disciples hiding. And they told them, they said, uh, we have been with Jesus. They said, we've even broke bread with him. He has risen, just like he said. And as I said earlier, Simon Peter, somewhere along the way, even prior to this, Jesus briefly appeared to Simon Peter. I think, I believe, because Jesus knew Simon Peter was, he was hurting spiritually and, and, uh, and mentally in a, a, a horrendous way. Have you ever been overcome with grief? Has the devil ever told you, you can't go to the Lord, look what you have done. I've had people tell me that. I said, Vicki, there's no way I can come to know Jesus, Lord and Savior. You don't know what I've done. I said, you don't know what I've done. But God's word says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He blots out our transgressions and remembers them no more. It's as though it never happened. Do you hear that? The things that you are guilt-ridden with. The thing that has isolated you more than this coronavirus. That which you toss and turn through the night. Jesus Christ can wash it under the blood of Jesus. God's word tells in Revelation chapter 12. They overcame him. Who? The devil. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. And by the word of their testimony. And loved not their own lives until the death. The blood of Jesus shall, and if your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. He'll wash it all away. You're not stronger than Jesus. He said, I'll take it all away. And while they were gathered together in that upper room, same room that Jesus had been there, he washed their feet. And the men from Emmaus are telling about this. They remembered what Jesus said to them in Matthew 28. He said, after my resurrection, I want you to go to Galilee and to wait 
on the promise. Go to Galilee and wait on the promise. In John chapter 21, we see something very interesting. In the first verse to the second, third verse, Simon Peter said something after the events and the hiding in the upper room. The testimonies of seeing Jesus. Of course, we know the story about Thomas. He said, unless I can touch his hand, the wounds in his hand, and then decide I won't believe. Jesus appeared to him and said, here. And Thomas fell down and he said that which is the highest acclaim that ever has been, my Lord and my God. But now, in John chapter 21, with the third verse, Simon Peter said this, as they were reflecting and talking about all these events. Simon Peter said, I go a fishing. I want to go fishing. You think, this, this is odd. Here, here, these events going on, this, this is odd. I want to go fishing. How many times have you wished you could go back to a happier time in your life? Remember, there's times in your life where it seemed like everything was just right. And now, perhaps even this virus situation, many people are filled with anxiety and fear. Suicide rates are at high because they're just scared to death. People are isolated and lonely and depressed. People worry about being able to have food. We see long lines all over the United States to get free groceries from people who have never, never asked for free groceries before. And so we see these things happening and people are, are terrified. And you think perhaps I'd like to go back to a happier time. Perhaps it's when you were a child. Perhaps it's when the first time you fell in love or on your wedding day. And now, for whatever reason, perhaps uh, the breakup between uh, a romantic relationship or a divorce or financial ruin. You woke before, you can't think of anything else. And you've even entertained the thought of destroying yourself. I've talked to people who are suicidal and I said, uh, so you want to die? Yes. You want to commit suicide? Yes. You don't know what I'm going through. I can't live with it. I said, well, let me ask you something. If you don't want your life, you want to throw it away, can I have it? Well, they look at me like I'm crazy. I said, no, seriously. If you don't want it, can I have it? They said, what are you talking about? I said, if you don't want it, give it to Jesus. He's got a lot of use for it. If you don't want to live for yourself and the things in life, give it to Jesus. He can use it. You can be his mouthpiece. You can be his feet, his hands. You see, that's the whole idea of people. The whole thing that Jesus is saying here, he has left us with a work to do. He's telling us to go forth. He told the disciples, go to Galilee and wait for the promise. What was the promise? The Holy Spirit. And when they received the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden, Simon Peter, who was in hiding, stood up before the very priests who had had executed Jesus Christ and told him, said, you are the ones who have killed the Messiah. Where did this power come from? Where did this bravery come from? The indwelling Holy Spirit. And Jesus said in the very first chapter of Acts, but you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the uttermost part of the earth. You see, the Westminster Confession of Faith says this. Why, why are you here? It's not just to entertain yourself. The reason why you are here, listen to this. Here's the reason why you're here. To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Simon Peter wanted to go back to Galilee. The disciples said, we'll go with you. 
When they got to Galilee, they were out in the boat, and all of a sudden they saw somebody on shore and hollered, uh, have you caught anything tonight? And the apostle John realized that that was Jesus. Simon Peter, knowing that, dived out of the boat, went to Jesus, and Jesus broke bread and ate fish with them. All these things were proved that Jesus is real. He wasn't just a spirit. He's real. He's real today for you. If you will confess in your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. All you have to do is pray and ask him into your heart. Last week, we closed with a song that said, He's Alive, written by Don Francisco. I want you to hear another version by a man that I'm sure you love and appreciate, Mr. Charlie Daniels. The gates and doors were barred, all the windows fastened down. I spent the night in sleeplessness, and rose at every sound. Half in hope of sorrow, and half in fear of the day. We'd find the soldiers breaking through to drag us all away. And then just before the sunrise, I heard something at the wild. And then the gate began to rattle, and the voice began to call. And I hurried to the window, and I looked down in the street, expecting swords and torches. Sound of soldiers' feet. There was more there but Mary, so I went down to let her in. John stood there beside me as she told us where she'd been. She said they moved him in the night, and none of us know where. The stones been rolled away, but now his body isn't there. Jesus stood before me with his arms held open wide. 
love was shining out from him like sunlight from the skies. It did not confusion. Disappeared in sweet relief. And every fear I'd ever had just melted into peace.